fantastic. Thank you, worship team. I uh, was right over by the speaker, and uh, my, my chest cavity was literally vibrating with, uh, with the music. It was fantastic. But uh, our God is able, for sure. Everybody believe that here today? Our God is able? Just one of you? That's a good start. John does. Talk to him after the service. He'll explain it to you. So uh, I, I, I guess I should thank Mark for the introduction. I, I think that was an introduction. I, um, I'll be honest, though. Uh, I've been married 25 years. My selective hearing, I've, I've, I've fine-tuned that to perfection. So I heard him say, hip young guy, and, and that's me. So uh, I'm happy to be here this morning. But uh, you may be wondering what's up with the background here today. Um, it may have something to do that uh, some of you are nervous right now that maybe I'm here to confront you about your driving. I see how you pull in here in the morning. Or uh, as Mark said, looking out the window, maybe I'm here to talk to you about how you park your car when you get here in the morning. Or maybe I've discovered a new letter written by Paul to the good people of Drivicus or Reclesia, or maybe closer to the truth, I just wrote this entire sermon while I was waiting at the MTO to renew my plates this week. But either way, um, I'm excited because we're going to start a series. We're going to start a series tonight, um, this morning, sorry, Saturday night guy, um, called Guardrails. And it's a series that's been created by Andy Stanley, and Mark and I are going to kind of do it together uh, and it's something I've always wanted to do. It's something I did with the youth um, back in the winter of 2015. And I've always wanted to kind of do it in here, but it's hard as a guest speaker to do a six-week series because it gets spread out over a year and a half, and uh, none of our memories are that good. Um, usually I'm just hoping that uh, anyone remembers by the time you get home what you heard this week, but after six weeks of guardrails, I think you're really going to start to pick it up. So uh, where I wanted to start tonight was a little bit of a quiz about uh, what you know about the rules of the road. So I'm wondering if I could have a, a volunteer maybe. There's a lot of people here, but... Uh, a volunteer, just to stand up where you are, and uh, stand up where you are. Somebody from this side, too. I just need to. And this is the best part. You don't have to be the brains. You're just the, the spokesperson. So if the answer's wrong, you get to turn around and look at the rest of your section, just kind of go, come on. So somebody over here, a little bit judgy, not shy. Maybe your name starts with Ethan. I don't know. Um, anything like, is there an Ethan here tonight, this morning? Nobody? Penny will do it. That's what I like. <laughs> All right, so you have two jobs, spokesperson. Uh, I'm going to ask a question here, and we're just going to go rapid fire back and forth, um, and you're just going to tell me what you think one of the answers might be on this list, and you can, ask, you can just receive information from your side. You can steal information you hear from the other side if you, if you prefer. And the most important thing, if I give you a point, hold up the appropriate number of fingers for your points because I will not remember. And there is a prize for the winning side. I brought enough for everyone, so here we go. Here's the question. In Ontario, the top 10 most, uh, most likely thing you would receive from a police officer. That was awkward. How about this? The most, most top 10 most likely tickets given out um, for driving infractions. So we're going to start over here with Penny. Speeding is number one. You have a point. Hand goes up. I wouldn't know, but I hear people do that. Over here. Parking? Parking is not an infraction. Parking is different. You keep talking, but I'm going to go back over here. Yes. Seatbelts is number four on the list. Two points over here. What do you guys got? Distracted driving is now on the list. Number nine. Hold up a finger. Over here. Careless is not on the list, but I'm not suggesting you do it. It's just not on the list. Driving under the influence. Drinking and driving is number seven. Two points aside, back over here. I'm going to go sit down while you're thinking about it. Rolling stop, improper stops of all kinds. Number two on the list, that's your point. 
Over here. Failed to yield. Um, yes, I'm going to give that under improper turns and lane changes. Yes, that's a point. Over here. Without a license, not on the list, but a great answer. So an internal reward for you. That was a good idea. Over here. Good old tailgating, number five. Come on, what did, did you, what did you get ticketed for this week is what I'm asking. That's all I'm asking. Expired plates, great, but not on the list. Over here. Very good idea also. No, not on there. I still got three. Failure to remain. Very good. Number 10. Number 10. Last night did not get that one. Over here. Lane change already had that one. Over here. Fantastic answer. It's number 11. I only went to 10. Over here. <laughs> Hitting someone, actually not, uh, not illegal. That's fine. Uh, you, it'd be more why you hit them. All right, how many points do we have over here? Just one? Four? Four. Okay, so next, next one's going to win it. Next one's going to win it. There's still two left over here. No insurance. No. We're just going to start yelling them out. Yes. What's that? Text distracted driving. We already had that one. We'd, I'd have quit already if we weren't tied. We had that one already. Just start yelling. I'll hear it. Good one, but no. Um, sorry, what did you say? Railway crossing, correct. We have a winner. Woo. That just needed to end. I'm sorry. Uh, the, the last one was number six, um, passing in a no-passing zone. So, oh, it's like family feud. That was exciting. So I have a prize for you guys, but just hang on a second. Um, I was kind of reminded of a, a, a true story about uh, failure to remain. Uh, two, three years into my teaching career, I got a car full of kids. We're going to a co-op placement, and I get rear-ended by a hot dog cart. True story. It was, it was a pickup truck pulling a hot dog cart, but he took off. And, and we're thinking, like, well, this can't be that hard, right? You just pull over all the hot dog carts and look for a smash bumper or something. But they never caught the guy. But interestingly enough, I called my insurance agent because I didn't know how that worked, right? Because there was no guy to exchange insurance with. And uh, he had actually, after receiving the call from me, he, he found out some information, then called home to Candace and said, you know, I just need to find out some information about the accident. Is anyone hurt? And, and so on. And so she's freaking out. And then uh, I, she, that's the maddest she's ever been at me, is that I called the insurance agent before her. And excitingly for me, that's the first time in our marriage I got to sleep on the couch. So not the last time, but it was the first time. But uh, my guess is we all know what a guardrail is. You probably saw some today. Uh, you understand the concept. Even if you don't have a license yet, you know what a guardrail is. But I'm also sure that you've never looked up the official definition of what a guardrail is. So let's do that together. The official definition of a guardrail is this. A guardrail is a system designed to keep vehicles from straying into dangerous or off-limit areas. And that makes sense, right? 
Now, I'd love to tell you that guardrails is actually a Greek word because uh, that's what I like to do is just tell you Greek words and then you think I'm smart, but it's not. Um, but I hope one day uh, you, will, uh, you will agree with me that learning ancient Greek is worthwhile. But chances are you pay very little attention to guardrails as you pass them, you don't count them, you don't map them on your route to work. And that's all true, of course, until you need one. Because driving has become more dangerous from back in the day. This is actually a picture from the Kingsway first car rally. I, uh, I don't have the names, but they look Dutch. And, uh, and you know, and, and if, you're, you know if, you're, if you're not into that, if you're much more of a kind of a cautious driver, there's the opposite of the fast and the furious, which is the slow and the serious. But either way, you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit like what George Carlin once said. He said, you know, everybody who drives slower than me is an idiot. And everybody who drives faster than me is a maniac. And so I think that's true for many people. They feel that way when they're driving. But, uh, but here's the thing. Guardrails are not everywhere. We don't see them down every single road, every single place we go. We don't see guardrails. They're really only in places where there's an increased level of risk. And so we find them in places like bridges, where the margin of error decreases as you have to kind of merge onto a bridge. We find them uh, mediums between uh, fast-moving lanes of traffic on the 401, except etc. Uh, we find them on curves where there's unexpected change in direction that may allow us to kind of slip off course. And of course, we have them where there's steep drops. And the risk for injury is very serious and it's very great. And I'll give you a better example of that last one. A couple of months ago, my lovely youngest daughter, who's not here so we can do this, um, had a bit of a mishap involving a guardrail. And so that's my beautiful, beautiful minivan right there. And I don't know if you can see the the guardrail post under the wheel, but she was driving home from work and an ambulance was coming towards her just outside of Dunville and uh, she um, did not slow down enough or judging by the picture at all before she (laughs) merged off uh, to let the ambulance go by. And so she hit that loose August summer gravel and she just started skidding and she obviously hit the guardrail right there. And although it's upsetting to see the damage to such a sweet ride, I I went back yesterday, two days ago, I guess it was, and took a picture from the bottom of, of where that guardrail was. So that's, you can see there's a missing post in the middle there. Can you, can you see where it goes? There's kind of, hang on, I'll, I'll show you where it goes. It was right here. And it's, um, so it was, it was right here, right? Yeah, so. Anyway, this is your prize. You guys get to take this home. Um, I don't know if you guys want to like, everybody gets a week or if you want to slice into little strips, but if you want to sell it, I did sign it which will make it worth a lot more. It says, happy motoring, hugs and kisses, Gary. So you can, you can, uh, you can send that off and make some money off that. But, you know, that's, that's the view from below. And it was a pretty deep ditch. And that's why the guardrail was there, because there was an increased level of risk. And so, uh, I'm out of breath again. Three stairs and a heavy post. Last night, uh, my wife made fun of me quite a bit, because she said, I could hear you panting after you did that. But... Uh, <laughs> But this is this, sorry, I already told you it's a prize, we'll go on. Um, But I also want you to notice something, that the guardrail isn't built in the danger zone. It's built right before the danger zone. Technically, where a guardrail is, you can usually drive there. It's what's right past the guardrail is the problem. And so a guardrail doesn't say, don't go here. A guardrail says, don't go past here. It's literally giving us a margin for error. And so the first principle we talked about are that guardrails are located in places where there's an increased level of risk, like bridges, medians, curves, and steep drops. The second principle we just talked about, guardrails are built on a place where it's still safe to drive, 
but to make sure that you don't end up in a more dangerous place. And then the third principle we're going to look at is this. It's, um, and again, we're just talking about actual guardrails here, is that you will do less damage to yourself and to your vehicle when you hit a guardrail than if there hadn't have been a guardrail. So it's a little bit like this. You'd rather have that than that, or this compared to that, or finally this one is much better than this one. That's your tax dollars at work right there. You're paying for both those repairs. So um, let me put you this way. I was much happier taking my minivan to the auto body shop than it would have been going to the hospital to see Alexa. It's just, it doesn't, we don't come out unscathed necessarily, but it keeps us out from these dangerous areas. And uh, I think it's an important concept that we kind of flush out. So if we take that idea of a guardrail that we see on the sides of the roads that protect us and direct us back to where we need to be, I wonder what if we can uh, expand that to our lives in general. And if so, if we could have guardrails in place in our lives to protect us from disaster, we can put these things in place that stop us from straying into dangerous or off-limit areas. And so just like this idea that you, of a cliff you might drive off or that ditch you might roll into or that head-on collision you might have with another person, could they have been avoided if there was a guardrail? And we could say the same thing. What about that financial cliff that you drove off of or where you're scrambling to make that mortgage payment or that relational ditch that you rolled your car into and now your kids won't return your calls or that head-on collision with your boss where now suddenly you're, you're out looking for a new job? What if there had been a guardrail there to protect you from those decisions? And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. And so if the original definition of a guardrail is this, it's a system designed to keep vehicles from straying into dangerous or off-limit areas, what could we say then if there was a system designed to keep our life from straying into dangerous and off-limit areas? And the reason we ask this is because if you think about it, your greatest regret in your life could have been avoided if there was a guardrail in place. So that biggest regret with your spouse, that biggest regret with your children, or with your parents, or your extended family, your biggest regret financially, your biggest regret ethically, morally, or that biggest regret with your career, or maybe it's your biggest regret that you still carry around about your relationship with him. What if there'd been a way to avoid that? So think of it this way, just to keep the metaphor going. What if that one big cliff that you drove off of in your life that caused so much damage could have been a minor scrape up against a guardrail? Maybe it's a lie you told a friend years ago that totally destroyed that friendship. Don't you wish that instead of telling that lie, instead of driving off that cliff, there had been something there that said to you, you don't want to do this. Let's not do this. Let's do this differently. Maybe it's the first time you picked up a pack of cigarettes or the first time you went up binge drinking with your friends and now you look back at what addictions have done to your life. Don't you wish there had been something there that said, let's not go that direction. Let's get back to where we need to be. Maybe you're younger and you're faced with the idea of cheating on a math test, not knowing that it's going to end up with a huge rift with your family, and you end up moving out before you're ready, and your life just gets more and more difficult from that moment on. Don't you wish there was something there saying, I'm not doing that, I'm not going there? And so maybe just right now in your head, you can think back to regret that you have, and think about the stress and the pain and the anger, maybe the broken hardness that came from it. Don't you wish there was something in you that had said, wait? I, that's not how I want this to go. And so that's what we're going to be looking at for the next several weeks, this idea of installing guardrails in your life to protect you from danger, to look at the lives, to look at our lives in a way that allow us to install guardrails of our choosing 
to help us with those areas of our life where we have an increased level of risk. So will you join Mark, Andy, and me on this journey? It kind of reminds me of the, you ever see the TV show Green Hornet? It's a great TV show. If you've seen the movie Green Hornet, don't judge the TV show by the movie. But in the movie, there's a moment where the Green Hornet says to Cato, and of course in the TV show, Cato was Bruce Lee, right? But he says to Cato, he says, will you take my hand and will you join me in this quest for justice? And Cato just kind of looks at him and he says, will you take my hand and will you join me? And Cato finally says, I'll join you. I just, I just don't want to touch you. And so you don't have to take my hand. But it's such an important, something like guardrails is something you have to kind of try, you have to buy into. If you just hear it for the next six weeks and you understand the concept but haven't put anything into practice, you won't, you won't have seen anything change. And so uh, we're encouraging you to kind of uh, look towards this for the next, at least the next month or so. We're going to be coming back to this idea of guardrails. I do think, though, we have to change our definition of a guardrail. If we're going to talk about this new version that's going to apply to our life, I think we need a new definition. So let's, if the old one is this, a guardrail is a system designed to keep vehicles from straying into dangerous or off-limit areas. That's perfect for, uh, for the side-of-the-road guardrails, but I think we need a new definition if we're going to apply it to our lives. So let's go with this. A guardrail is a personal and intentional standard of behavior designed by you to keep you from straying into dangerous or off-limit areas. And so what I, want, what I want to encourage you to do over the next several weeks, as we talk about dating, as we talk about friendships and family relationships, as we talk about how we spend our time, how we spend our money, as we talk about who we spend our time and money uh, with, about our auric, our, about our morals and our ethics and our belief systems, is to think about what kind of personal standard of behavior would make sense to you and what you can do to make it so that it becomes a part of your conscience. It becomes something that if you violate your own rule, you feel bad. You feel like you've done something wrong. And the whole idea of a guardrail is that although there may be damage, if I collide with one, there'll be less damage than if there wasn't one there in the first place. And the reason I say it's a matter of conscience is that for a guardrail to work, I need to commit myself to it strongly enough that if I bump up against it, it'll bother my conscience. I'll actually feel as though I've done something wrong. But you see, this isn't about legalism. This isn't about us trying to find a way to get you to follow a set of rules or a code of conduct that the church is going to create for you. When we, look at, um, when we look at the regrets we have, we know they could have been avoided if we had just taken a step back and said, I don't want to do this. And so it has to be a personal decision. It has to be you telling you what's right and what's wrong. And so Kingsway doesn't want to become the church that sets rules for you. Instead, we want to be the church that helps you connect with Jesus. Our motto here is love, accept, forgive, and encourage. It's not judge, question, shake your head, and shun. And so principle one was this. Guardrails are located in places where there's an increased level of risk. Number two, guardrails are built on a place that is still safe to make sure that you don't end up in a more dangerous place. And principle three was this. Do not stop. Sorry, guardrails do not stop you from having an accident, but they do stop you from having a serious accident. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, um, this sounds weird, um, but believe it or not, our society has guardrails installed all over the place, although they're really weak and ineffectual. So I, I think of them more as the little white lines painted on the edge of the road rather than a guardrail. But as a culture, we do believe there are behaviors you should avoid because if you don't, things will probably turn out badly. And most people can agree that there are certain things that just everybody should probably avoid. And so Andy Stanley comes up with a great list in, in, his, uh, in his talk. Uh, things like this, drink responsibly. Now, at my house, drink responsibly means use a coaster. 
but drink responsibly. It's a guideline for sure, but is it a guardrail? How about this? Don't have sex until you're ready. I dare you to come to youth group and say that. I dare you to come to youth group and say that. You know the answer you'll get. Talk to your kid about drugs. Anybody ever do that thing with the frying pan and the egg? Do you know what I mean? This is your brain on drugs. Let me ask the young people, your parents ever tried that on you? I, I seriously tried that with Alexa. I thought this is going to be awesome. She doesn't know because, you know, it was from the 80s. She'll think I'm so original and clever. So I heat up the frying pan and I grab an egg and I said, Alexa, come here for a second. And she walks by and she goes, not hungry and kept walking. So I don't know if that talks, if that counts as talking to your kids about drugs. How about this? My favorite, consolidate your debt. It's kind of like saying, put on your seatbelt as you plummet over the cliff, right? So our society believes in this concept. It's just that our society doesn't like to tell anybody what to do, even if it's their own best interest. And so everyone does really believe in these dangers. And I think everybody really believes that serious, seriously bad things can happen if you're not careful in life. And so I've never heard a parent brag by saying this, you know, I'm so proud of my son. He's finally addicted to prescription drugs. I've never heard a parent say that. Or, you know what? My daughter got arrested last night. That's two out of my three kids. I'm pretty proud. Or if, or if you're Dutch, you would say nine out of ten kids, but you get the idea. Or how about this? My son just won a whole week of vacation from school because he got caught cheating on his exams. Parents don't say stuff like that. Or my kid is only in grade three, but at parent-teacher interviews last night, his teacher said he lies at a grade eight level. We, don't, we, don't, we all agree those are not good things. And even the worst, even a terrible parent, and don't put up your hand, but if you're a terrible parent, even you would agree there's things you want your kid to stay away from. And even the worst parent would rather see their kid scrape up against something than fly off a cliff. They'd rather see a dented bumper rather than a totaled car. So maybe society is not the place to go for this. And so uh, perhaps we should turn to the Bible instead. And so we're going to turn to the book of Ephesians. And uh, as Mark so uh, cleverly pointed out last night when I said turn to chapter 15, there is no chapter 15, I meant chapter 5. So Ephesians chapter 5, if you're playing along uh, at home there. And uh, we're just going to kind of take a little section from the the book of Ephesians. And of course, you may know this, the book of Ephesians is actually a letter that was written by Paul to the people of Ephesus. And so if if you lived in the place called Ephesus, you were an Ephesian, just like if you live in Hamilton, you're a Hamiltonian. And... uh, the best summary is, you know, that uh, this was, these were Greek people under Roman rule in what we would now call Turkey. And so um, it's a real place. You can, you can visit there today, although it's really far. So if you wanted to visit there today, you should have left yesterday. Um, but Paul writes this letter, and he writes a lot of letters, and it's actually interesting that he makes reference in this letter to another letter that he wrote to the Ephesians that we don't have, we don't have it. Um, We don't know anything about it, but in chapter 3, verse 3, he says, as I briefly wrote earlier. And I I just love that detail. I find find such authenticity when I read scripture, when I read things like that. Because if I'm going to fake a letter, you know, hundreds of years later, I don't put in details that I know I can't corroborate. And so anyway, I just felt like you wanted to know that. But regardless, it's a letter that he's written. And unlike a lot of his letters, it's it's not overly personal. In a lot of his letters he writes, he says hi to different people, he gives shout-outs, he says thank you, he says can you do me a favor. This is a very kind of down-to-business to letter. And really what he's doing in this letter that he wrote to the Ephesians is he's, he's, he's getting them to lift their eyes off of the worldly and onto the heavenly. So he, he, he does a lot of explanation about things you should and shouldn't do, but he always does it in the context of, um, you know, your behavior here on earth matters. 
And he says it matters, it matters to your heavenly father. And so because of that, we get a lot of the whys. We don't just get lists of do this and don't do that. We get a lot of explanation. And so we're going to pick it up in Ephesians 5, verse 15. And it says this, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord, Jesus Christ. So there's a lot there, but basically Paul begins by telling us there are dangerous areas in our lives. He points out those areas of increased risk, and he's going to pinpoint in on one of them in a second here. But if you were to read the beginning first 14 verses of Ephesians 5, it's basically just a list of things that should be avoided as a follower of Jesus, sexual immorality, greed, swearing, coarse joking, and several other ones. But then he gets to this section, and I want to just kind of pick it apart a little bit. So we'll begin again in verse 15. It says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. And here's your free Greek word of the day. The, the word careful there, akrobose. And that can best be defined as circumspect. So if you have a second, look up the word circumspect, because I didn't know what that meant either. And what it says is, is that um, the word circumspect or the word akrobose means diligently, prudently, apprehensive of danger and guarding against it. So we kind of use a watered-down version of the word careful now, don't we? Today we say things like, you know, be careful almost as a throwaway term. I actually remember the first time, I was 16, 17, the first time I ever drove on the 401 by myself. So I'm, I'm driving along in the car, and I'm just going on the on-ramp, and my dad calls me because they had cell phones back then. Anyway, uh, my dad calls me on the cell phone that I had, and he says to me, listen, I just heard on the radio that there's some idiot driving the wrong way on the 401. I said, Dad, everybody's driving the wrong way. But then Paul writes this. Here's a phrase, and it's such an important phrase. And it's, and it's this idea of, of being so exact, so careful, so cautious. It reminds me of like a construction worker working at heights. And so let me put it to you this way. Um, we can use the word careful like this. Be careful eating your lunch or you might spill. Or we can say, be careful eating your lunch, or there's something more serious. And so Paul's talking about this second one. This word again means diligently, prudently, apprehensive of danger and guarding against it. Sounds like a guardrail, doesn't it? But then he continues, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Now, many people think that 2018 are evil days because we read the newspaper and we, and we see just a world that seems to be so contrary to, to God, how God wants us to be living. But 2,000 years ago in Ephesus, things were crazy. Uh, today, we at least live in a society based on Christian values. You know, our society spends a lot of time disconnecting those values from the name of God, but we still live in a society where basically we follow Christian values. Our, our societal norms of today believe it's wrong to lie and steal, to hurt others, to cheat on your spouse, or to turn your back on the less fortunate. But 2,000 years ago in, in uh, Ephesus, these ideals weren't the norm. They live very differently. And so I find this turn of phrase, making the most of every opportunity, to be so uh, captivating because what does that really mean, to make the most of every opportunity? What it really means is to be intentional about what you're doing. It means to do things on purpose. So we are to be very careful, if I can just paraphrase this, very careful, very thoughtful, very intentional about how we live our lives, choosing to be wise because we live in a dangerous world and we don't want to stray into dangerous 
or off-limit areas. But then Paul, Paul says something amazing to me. He says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And the key word here is therefore, because the word therefore means he's tying what he just said to what he's saying now. They're not meant to be read separately. And so when you do that, when you look at them together, um, it says this, not as unwise, but as wise, is simply being restated as foolish and understanding God's will. And so what Paul's just done here is he's defined the word wise for us. Because unwise and foolish means the same thing. Therefore, wise and understanding God's will is the same thing. So when he's asking us to live as wise, he's saying understand what God's will is for you and stay in that. Stay in your lane is what Paul's saying. It's, it's not about avoiding things because they're bad. It's about avoiding things, um, sorry, I said that wrong. It's not about um, right and wrong. It's about wise and unwise. It's not about avoiding things because they're bad. It's about being in the middle of God's will for our life. And these intentional guardrails that we can put in place allow us to not stray off into those areas. And if you don't see it, don't worry, because Paul goes on to explain it with an example. In verse 18, he says this, do not, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Great word, debauchery. What does that even mean? No, I don't know. Does anybody know what that word means? I, I looked up a number of definitions. They, they didn't make sense to me. So sometimes what I do, if you, if you can't have trouble defining a word, you should just look at the words that mean the same, the synonyms, right? I said synonyms, right? I'm not going to do it again. Um, so I looked up some of those words. So here's the words that mean the same thing as debauchery. Dissipation, dissoluteness, degeneracy, vice, turpitude, lauchness, rakishness, and libertinism. Well, thank you very much, thesaurus.com, but I'm not any closer to understanding this. So I started looking up these words, and I'll just give you the short definition of these words. Dissipation means squandering your opportunities. Dissoluteness means lacking in morals. Degeneracy means tainted. It's actually the opposite of the word pure. Um, vice means immoral. Turpitude means wickedness. Lauchness means of a bad reputation. Rakishness means sleazy, and libertinism means irresponsible. That's what debauchery means. And in all seriously, if, if I'm to put it in words maybe that I can understand best, if you ever dropped your kids off at school and yelled, make good choices as they get out the car? Just me that does that. So here's, here's what you would be saying instead. If, if you were, were going to use the word debauchery as your key word here, you would say this. Make terrible choices that will haunt you for the rest of your life. And daddy loves you. And then next thing you know, they want to start taking the bus. And so you got, you got yourself an extra 20 minutes every day. So it's this idea of it's like, it's not just a terrible decision now, it's a terrible decision that's going to follow you. And so Paul gives us this example using alcohol. And when we read it, we realize that Paul's showing us a guardrail. Paul is not telling us to drink alcohol. He's not telling us that drinking alcohol is a sin because it's not. But what Paul is saying is that getting drunk can lead to making poor decisions, terrible decisions, terrible choices intentionally choosing to not get drunk can be a guardrail. But for many, that's still too vague. That's, still, that's not concrete enough. To a recovering alcoholic, they may look at this and say, no, that's not enough. It's not enough for me not to get drunk. I need to set a personal and intentional guardrail in my life that says, I don't drink, period. And for some people, they would look at that and say, no, that's, that's not enough. That's such an area of risk for me that that's not enough for me. I'm going to place an intentional and, 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 and well-thought-out guardrail in my life that says, I don't even go to places where other people are drinking. Because it's all based 
And that's what I mean by personal. It's based on what our increased level of risk is. For some of you, you don't need a guardrail in this area. It's not even uh, the slightest concern for you. And I'll tell you that I don't drink. And it's not because I think it's wrong. And it's not because I'm a moralist or I'm a crusader. It's because there was a time in my life when I was 19 or 20 when I was able to look back at my teenage years and realize that every regret I had, every bad decision I, that I wish I could take back had something to do with drinking and getting drunk. And so for me, I don't drink. That's a guardrail that I have in my life, long before I knew it was called a guardrail, that I'm committed to. Not because it's a sin, because again, it's not. But drinking is something that I avoid. And it, because of this, because it's a guardrail for me, it allows me not to stray into dangerous or off-limit areas. Those, that's an increased area of risk for me. And see, it's not what you should or shouldn't do. It's what I should or shouldn't do. And it has to be a matter of conscience. A guardrail isn't simply something you come up with and maybe you write it down somewhere and then you just ignore it. It's something that you have to believe strongly enough that it will bother you if you, if you break your own rule. And I'll give you an example. A few years ago, I came back from skiing on March break and I got home about 10 at night after a long drive back from Collingwood and I come in the front door and realize someone had broken into our house. And I, at first, I was just really upset because of all the muddy footprints on the carpet. But then, of course, the police come, and they want to figure out what's missing. And so we have to inventory the whole house. And at one point, uh, one of the officers said to me, there's like six officers in Kiuga. A break-in's a big deal. But anyway, uh, one of them says to me, do you have any alcohol in the house, and is it missing? And I just blurted out, I only have two bottles of wine, and I use it for cooking. I, I don't know why I did that. Like, I'm, I was 44 years old. I'm allowed to have wine in the house. But... <laughs> It felt, it felt like I shouldn't, I shouldn't. It felt like I, I, I was, it rubbed up against my conscience. I just blurted that out. And I think from that moment on, they're like, what's this guy hiding, right? Like, <laughs> but that's why I responded. I felt, I felt like it was wrong that I had alcohol in my house. And it's not about living in guilt. It's about me having set this up in my life where I find it very hard to believe I'm accidentally going to go out and get drunk and make a bad decision because of the guardrail I've put in place, because I know for me, that's an area of increased risk. I can look back at my life and see that and say, man, I wish I could take that back. I wish that hadn't happened. I wish I didn't go that direction. But Paul doesn't leave it there. He continues and reminds us what we should be doing instead. And he tells us this, um, continuing on in, in verse 18, it says, instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord, Jesus Christ. But Ephesians 15, 18 holds the key here. Because although it says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, we've kind of covered that, it gives us an instead. Paul tells us what we should be doing instead. It says, instead, be filled with the Spirit. See, the two elements he's, com he's comparing here is alcohol and the Holy Spirit. And each has the power to, to have a level of control in our lives over our behavior, but with vastly different results. You see, getting drunk leads to a loss of self-control. Being filled with the Spirit, the Scripture tells us, leads to more self-control. Decisions made when drunk can lead to regret. Decisions made in the Spirit lead to understanding what God's will is for us. Remember, that's the difference between wise and unwise. But how does the Holy Spirit lead to more self-control? Well, in Galatians 5, it says this. There's a listing of what, they, what we call the fruits of the Spirit. And the reason they're called fruits is because they represent what the Holy Spirit will produce in us. It's, it's kind, of, kind of like, think of it this way. It's, apple trees don't produce oranges, right? The fruit of an apple tree 
are apples. And so the fruit of the Spirit in your life are these things. And he lists them here. It says, Spirit um, of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so Paul's saying, choose self-control. Choose to live in the Spirit. Choose to stay away from things that may do you harm. And choose to live your life within the will of God, because that's the true meaning of wisdom. So let me just leave you with this. Nobody ever plans to mess things up, to live a life filled with regret. But do you plan not to? And if we just think about guardrails, um, I just hope this has piqued your interest a little bit and given you something to think about. And my hope is maybe this week you think a little bit about some of the regrets you have and what sort of areas you think maybe you have an increased level of risk regarding. And you may need a little extra um, protection. And if you do spend your time this week thinking about that, I guarantee you come back next week with some questions. And the question's probably on the lines of, well, how? How do you do this? How do you make this happen? And to be honest, the answer to that is very complicated and it's hard to explain. So that's why Mark's doing it next week. (laughs) But um, uh, it's a concept. And, you know, you, you can pick some holes in the analogy if you really try. But it's a concept that says... I'd rather follow my rules than somebody else's rules. When other people give you rules to follow, you kind of grade up against that. You kind of don't like that. But it's much easier to say, this is how I choose to do things. It doesn't have to be for everyone. It's not about converting other people to install your guardrails. But as we go through the next three, four, five weeks with this, we're going to give you tons of examples of different parts of your life where we're hoping something will ring true for you. So can I pray for you guys before we go? Lord, I just want to thank you so much for an opportunity to share your word, um, the, 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 great, uh, the great message that Andy Stanley uh, began that we've been able to kind of expand upon here tonight, uh, this morning. just want to thank you so much for an opportunity to share, and so, thank you so much for bringing people out to hear it. That uh, I don't know um, the personal situation for, for people here today, but we know that some people here today are just looking for ways to grow closer to you, looking for ways to just make that stronger connection We also know that some people are just coming off of a terrible week and are just feeling overwhelmed and just feeling like they just need to be close to you. And and, and we also know that people here today just don't know what to make of any of this and that they're not sure, um, you know, if you even exist, let alone if you have anything for them. And I just pray for all those people, Lord, that this, this would be something that they could grab a hold of. It's... If, if, even if, you don't, uh, if, if you're not a, a follower of yours, Lord, people can, can learn so much about um, um, the wisdom that you bring. And so we just thank you for that. I thank you for this morning. I thank you for everyone here. We just pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.